to get to the beginning point or to the central issue is this thing called SEL or social emotional learning. And you're doing work um, criticizing that, raising awareness of that specifically right. as it's being implemented in schools. Now, SEL, from what I tell, uh, can tell or see, it's very slippery. Like, it's very like, what is this thing really? Social emotional learning. So it could be good. It could not be good. How did you know? How do you know? When did it first hit your radar? And when did it first uh, start raising flags for you? Yeah, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, I started going to board meetings. And going to the board meetings, you look at the agenda before you go. And there was one board meeting agenda in particular. It mentioned two words, microaggressions and implicit bias. And I had known enough about critical race theory to kind of know it was associated. And so I just made a phone call to the responsive services director. And I was like, can you tell me like how you're implementing these words into you know the district's plan and and he's like, oh, it's just so that principals know if, you know, bullying incidents are racially motivated. And I was like, okay, uh, all right, that's a good enough answer. But then um, I noticed on there, too, on the agenda was they were implementing a new social-emotional learning curriculum called Second Step. And kind of have a little investigative journalist bug in me. I'll research kind of anything. I mean, I'll research anything I'm interested in. I mean, it could be the JFK assassination, um, the OJ Simpson trial. I know all about that. Um, but this time it was like, okay, I just started with going to their website and I said, okay, who is second step? And I had a very interesting webpage that I read across on there. It says anti-racial and anti-bias resources. And as I clicked through them, I was like, oh yeah, critical race theory is written all over this and so that's kind of where i started and then i started looking at it said transformative social emotional learning mm -hmm. and their definition of that was right on that page and i was like well what is that and who defines that and they mentioned castle c-a-s-e-l which is the collaborative for academic social emotional learning and they're the organization that sets all the core competencies and standards by which all social emotional learning programs are measured so they kind of set the bar and say, these programs need to meet that in order to be CASEL approved. Mm -hmm. And most states won't even accept programs um, into their school districts without it being CASEL approved. So that's kind of where my, my journey started. You brought up critical race theory, contentious term, again, perfectly designed to be a Trojan horse or a nothing burger. Because critical mm -hmm. race, what is it? it? It's a law school thing. Oh, it's it's not just, being schools, it's it's not being <laughs> There's that whole thing. Um, it is being taught to teachers who are in schools before they go to school. So, um, but what what is that to you? How did you know that that's a, something to look out for? From your perspective, when did you start get, to get a handle on that? And can you kind of concretize it for the purposes of this discussion? Absolutely. So implicit bias is kind of related, right? So the whole concept that if you are white and you are born into this system that they believe is systemically racist. So all the institutions, the justice system, the school system, all these systems are inherently racist. And therefore, because you benefit from that and you're a white person, then you have implicit bias. 
And so that really kind of instills like the critical racers believe everything's been set up to oppress people of color. Um, and how it fostered itself in social emotional learning was I saw two words. Um, they listed power and prejudice as being one of the three main social factors um, associated with bullying. So, you know, they didn't come right out and say, oh, white people are the people with the most power and privilege. What they did is then show these cartoons and these slides. And wouldn't you know, almost every cartoon, the person of color was in the role of the victim and the white person was in the role of the oppressor. So obviously by association, these kids would learn that it was white people who had the most power and privilege. Almost like an implicit bias. Right. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. And then, um, because on the surface, bullying is about power and prejudice, but that power dynamic isn't necessarily what you know, uh, the critical theorist or the social theorist or the so-called Marxist thinks as these systems of things. It's just like one kid and another kid are vying for power or one right. has power and wants to exert power. And that can take the form of prejudice that exists, you know, maybe you're skinny, maybe you, you have a good voice and the other guy's jealous, you know, right. or whatever. Like there, there's that dynamic. But what you saw was that there's a specific narrative that comes packaged with this stuff that on a high minded level we call critical race theory. But in implementation, it is the fostering of a racialized view of the world and then inculcating a uh, a reversal of that power and privilege is that Absolutely. is yeah. that the a redistribution they say okay. of of power and that's the thing um with these programs it's it's all through a racial um lens and an equity lens and actually even in the 2019 castle um exchange sel exchange they had invited um dina simmons and she went up on the stage and was saying, you know, we need to look at SCL in order to create the social change that we need. And we need to look at through an, an equity lens. And she was, well, let's just call it what it is. And then it was crossed out and then it said anti-racial lens. And so they're basically admitting there. And, it's, and, and you know, it's funny because I posted that on Twitter and someone's like, well, isn't it good to be, you know, not to be against racism the way they they read that word but it's actually not that that's this is like Ibram X Kendi's like you're saying your that other view of racism is like is reverse racism now now we're being racist toward white people and assuming that they're racist toward any people of color so with that assumption as the guiding principle that you've uh, noticed in that. And then there's these little kind of flaggy words, equity and diversity and inclusion and, uh, you know, implicit bias, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We kind of all know those words by now. What is it about social emotional learning? How does that implement this worldview? What is the process uh, that the student is subjected to through this rubric? It's actually pretty interesting. So in the, in the sixth to eighth grade lessons, it's they're a little more open about what they're doing, right? It's still subversive, but you know they'll throw stuff out like um, SEL ha is about making specific goals, for instance, and so they'll have example goals. You know, get an A on my math test. Uh, 
in the learn a new dance routine this month and then work for a social justice organization is kind of smushed sandwiched in between a couple of other things um okay. then they have um in the beginning k to five it's little it's way more subtle and it's kind of sneaky the way that they do it benjamin they they talk about empathy and perspective taking and empathy starts out how, how you would imagine empathy the definition of it to be where you know you're just you're kind toward people. You, you feel sad when they feel sad. You, you know, you feel happy when they feel happy. You support them, um, and then of course perspective taking, which means that you realize that other people have different perspectives than you, and and that it's okay that you guys are different, and that you're not going to put each other down from having different perspectives. And then it kind of shifts. It continues to shift from K through five. Um, eventually then empathy is, you can't have empathy without having compassion. And in order to have compassion, you need to do something if someone's hurting. And you can kind of see how they're laying the groundwork for social justice activism. And then perspective taking turns into you, you, you can't just acknowledge that other people have different perspectives than you. You actually have to accept and take on those ideologies and believe them like your own. Uh, just any given ideology or one principal ideology? Um, it's funny. You talked about critical race theory being in the social emotional learning program, but also what, what we found, um, Stacey Clayton and I went through this whole eighth grade curriculum, right? And we picked it apart <laughs> because that was kind of like the culmination of everything. And um, what we found is it's also heavy on the LGBTQIA activism. So not only um, are they teaching kids racial, just, racial social justice activism, but also activism for sexual harassment and gender harassment as mm -hmm. well. You know, uh, this is a completely a side note and uh, should deserve its own exploratory uh, conversation. But I'm just looking at you as a mother and a, a number of other women who are stepping up and doing the work that you're doing right now. And the thought strikes me that there's something about being a mother that um, compels a woman, let's just say, to defend her child and to want the best for her child and to strive and to fight for that kid. If you can confuse women, if you can, if you can take the... If you can make young girls not become mothers, you don't have to deal with that threat as an ideology. That's a very cynical view. But if you can teach them to um, dis distrust being a mother or distrust a, a relationship that would produce children uh, and then confuse them with regard to their bodies, you know, and I've explored that before. There's a lot of uh, kind of a school to sex work pipeline going on with a lot of this gender sexuality training or education, but it's actually training. But also it derails down down the road in 15, 20 years, women such as you standing up for the child, like that whole biological mechanism is now confused um, because there is a phenomena right now specifically of mothers standing up uh, and, and trying to lay the groundwork for reforming schools. So I just wanted to put that into the mix. Yeah, you're so right about that. Uh, the whole reason that they're blurring the gender... I mean, and that's, that's the other crazy thing is that even in the, the elementary curriculum as early as first grade, there was this kind of weird exercise, right, where the teacher was holding up a green circle and the kids had to say square, like do the circle, you know, symbol for square. And um, they hold up a green square and they had to do the circle for, it's for triangle. And 
they had, you know, and she's like, well, what did you learn by doing all this? And they said, well, I had to not listen to my brain and I had to, you know, <laughs> to tell myself to do something that my brain was telling me not to do. And there was really, I couldn't see any purpose for the exercise except to, to start introducing the concept of social constructivism, right? Where you're, everything's a social construct. And that's what these critical race theorists believe, right? Where um, race and gender and all those things are just something that society makes up you know, to put you in a box uh, and oppress you. And so if they can blur the lines with gender, especially, you're right. Um, they, and the Marxists say this all over their writings, right? The NBLM and all this, they want to destroy the nuclear family because they feel like the, the children should be raised by the village, right? The, the, the collective. Um, so they all kind of have a hive mind. Um, it really kind of buys into the whole feminist socialist movement. Um, and what they want to do is do away with families because that's really, if you look back in history, I mean, look at Hitler by, by 1939, 90% of, you know, the German youth belong to the Hitler youth organization and they pulled them away from their families and they taught them their ideologies. Then the kids were put in a, in a place where they were tattling on their parents if they behaved in ways not approved by the third Reich. And so the, the best way to fundamentally change our society is to destroy the family because the family unit is the thing. You know, if, if a kid's close enough to their parents, they're going to come home and they're going to say, man, I had this lesson at school today that was really wonky. Like my, 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 my kids, you know, tell me stuff all the time because we talk about this stuff at the dinner table. They know they can come to me and they're close to me and they'd be like, man, a, kills, a kid's growling at me at school because they believe they're a dog. Um, and so, I mean, this whole furry thing, I'm sure you've heard of it, but, but that's the thing. If families and, and especially mothers, because there is that, that maternal instinct to protect our children is a very important and, and powerful force. Mm -hmm. So you've been working on exposing this, studying this, bringing it to light, raising consciousness about it. What are some of the steps and the setbacks that you guys found along the way in this project? Um, lots and lots of research, lots and lots of time spent pouring through it, um, figuring out how to package it so that parents could look at it. So for instance, the SEL program that I went through, uh, second step is a copyrighted, and most curriculums are copyrighted. So parents can't just view it on their own um, you have to go down to the school district office um, between, you know, regular business hours. So if you're a working parent, that's a no-go for you. You have to have an administrator log you in. And then we just spent hours and hours. I think it took us 30 hours to review just one grade. And we were thinking to ourselves, how would, like, any regular parent do this? Or even in, even the district people who are looking at the, the curriculum themselves, uh, and honestly, the, the biggest thing I, I started, started ringing the alarm about this back in June, um, and I was by myself before Stacy joined me. And I was starting to say, well, look at Castle. Look what they're saying about this transformative SEL. This is very destructive. I was coming to the district office, and it wasn't until we found a third-party link that led them to this website that had very inappropriate sexual content for eighth graders um, did people really pay attention. Um, and that's I think that that's probably one of the biggest things is that unless there's something really salacious, you start bringing this stuff up and they're, 
they're just like, yeah, whatever, Marxist content, whatever, <laughs> critical race theory, I don't know. Um, and so it's very hard to get people to pay attention. And then once they did pay attention and we were raising consciousness and awareness in our community, then the social workers came after us because they're like, you're going to take away our beloved SEL program. Hmm. And the kids really need this because they're in a mental health crisis right now. Um, and really, you'll, you'll see SEL programs being pushed in districts literally across the nation for that purpose because they believe because of COVID, you know, kids are extremely suicidal, they're depressed. And, you know, honestly, they, they're right about that. I mean, kids, kids, kids are affected by having their faces covered and not seeing people's expressions. And kids are affected by not being able to hang out with their friends. And so COVID really did do a number on our kids' uh, mental health. And so now they're saying we really need these programs. And so they were very angry at us for saying this program is not right for our community and our district. Did they come after you? And um, of course they would do this with data showing that this actually improves mental health and community uh, conduct or, or commun communal uh, good goodwill. Not actionable data, because that's the thing. I mean, you can you can't really um, the things they're trying to measure, right? Um, they can measure how many office referrals were made, right? Um, and they can say, well, those got reduced, but that could have also been reduced because maybe because the kids were now back at school and now they're with their friends and they're happy to be back at school. I mean, so there's so many different factors that you can't really tie it just back to them implementing the SEL program. And the other problem with transformative SEL is that people will cite studies that Castle is done at the University of Illinois in Chicago, and they'll still see SEL works. But you know, it, there's always a lot of problems with their research because they fund their own research. So um, hmm. there is no research-backed uh, data in regards to transformative SEL, and I think people lose sight of that when they start implementing these program programs because now that that is their methodology. They don't have any research to back up that it works. Why have you uh, repeatedly put the stress on transformative SEL? Is that a specific brand, uh, the social justice brand of SEL? Oh, yes. Okay. So, and I, and I really, you know, there's there's a big question, right? And the people that are researching this, um, Max Eden threw out there, he was like, Who, do, do, do you all think that this was um, planned from the beginning? or just, you know, got co-opted, right, by, by somebody. It started out as something good, and then it kind of turned into something bad. And I think a lot of people at first thought, oh, it just got co-opted. But I don't believe that at all, because the same folks that brought in Common Core, they started doing SCL. And it's the same folks who are bringing in social-emotional learning. And so social-emotional learning started out being these great, I mean, who want, who does not want their kid to learn empathy, goal setting, uh, self-regulation, managing their emotions. And it kind of started out that way. And it was like a bait and switch. 2020 happened. Castle changed their definition of SEL to be this SEL through an equity and social justice um, lens. Mm -hmm. And so now it's taught completely different and they've added all these new elements in to, I mean, it's just social behaviorism. They're trying to get the kids to think a certain way about okay. Society in the world now. 
Isn't that what many education system would do? If you sent your child to, let's just say, uh, 20 years ago, a Catholic school, you would expect some measure of Catholicism to be imprinted upon them. Isn't that just what happens? Well, somewhat. I think you're right about that. I mean, it's kids get imprinted, but this is this is like social engineering. This is like um, training them for the workforce of the future. And the problem with that is, you know, most most of those like social emotional learning things like um, emotion management and all that kind of stuff, that stuff the parents teach kids. Um, actually, most kids' social emotional learning skills are formed by the age of five just by being in the environment of their parents and watching what they do and having healthy relationships at home. Um, but this this is a specific brand um meant to kind of turn kids away from their familial and cultural beliefs and into this worldview belief. Okay. But why should we trust parents? I mean, <laughs> they keep on creating screwed up people, right? Why, why, right. why shouldn't the state take over that? Duty? Well, exactly, because especially me, I'm a white parent. I yeah, are you credentialed? Did you get a credential to be a parent before you became a parent? I mean, did you go through training for this at all? <laughs> are you... <laughs> what are your credentials? Um, nature um, okay. that I that I love my kid, um, hmm. and I think that the state and the the people who want to manipulate our kids, they don't love our kids. They want to manipulate our kids. I think they want to manipulate our, their kids to serve their purposes, which again, which is this world economy that they're trying to build up the future. There was uh, an incident in 2017 that I was witness to. It was called the Evergreen State College, like Evergreen Spring or whatever. It's why I did this and why I do this. But there was this phrase that popped up during this riot, protest, weird community action that kind of presaged 2020 just on a very small scale. And they would chant community love over and over again, community love. So there was this this idea of love, but it wasn't, it didn't act like the love that I grew up with. It didn't, it didn't feel like the love that I've experienced. It was a community love that policed itself. And so it has the trappings of love. It uses empathy. It uses relationships. Uh, the, the ideology that I witnessed and what I see mirrored in the language and the processes and the ideology that you're exploring now. So there is this, Maybe it's too strong to say perversion of these deep-rooted uh, dynamics of what a human being is and wants. The human being wants to get along with people. It's seeking harmony. It's seeking homeostasis. It's, it's seeking an idea of the future and of drive and of accomplishment. And with what you say you've seen with SEL is that it... Uh, it adapts itself age appropriately to very different uh, to specific processes that that children, generally speaking, are, are dealing with along their emotional development, and it is all influenced by a academic uh, created ideology that is explicitly, from what you said, social construct constructivist. Uh, social justice or wokish, and perhaps you, you dropped also that it's globalistic or some sort of neoliberal, neocon, corporatist uh, ideology that has an idea of human beings as best kept behaving in a certain way to be shuffled around at will. 
that's what you see. Yeah, no, that's definitely what I see. Um, they, the folks that brought in, like I said, the folks, same folks that brought in Common Core, the same folks who pushed SCL in, and that's really the UN, the UN agencies, UNESCO, um, you see a lot of Bill Gates Foundation, uh, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Um, there's a sense of data collection so that they can kind of push kids into a specific um, pathway in their education and the competencies they want them to learn. And all the stuff that they're pushing is all the UN SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. And I don't know if your audience knows what Sustainable Development Goals. So they're basically the goals from 2015 to 2030 that they want to accomplish across the nations. And um, it's, you know, some of it's really awesome stuff like zero poverty, you know, clean water, you know, no hunger. Um, but some of it is this quality and inclusive education for all. But the problem is they get to decide what's quality and what's inclusive. And um, really with the data collection, and this is, this is the part as a mother, um, Benjamin, that bothers me the most is that they're collecting data on our children and measuring kind of where they are at in these social emotional learning competencies. So um, how empathetic are you? Um, do you, And they do it through these social emotional learning surveys. So they'll say, well, you know, do you believe in two genders? Do you believe in, you know, are you trying, like they collect all this data and what the eventual purpose of this is, is this social credit system, right? Where they're gonna be measuring our kids based on their soft skills. And when they, what they view them as is employability skills. Because in the future, these businesses, as you now hear them adopting environmental, social, and corporate governance scores and being invested in based upon these scores, they have to meet these markers, right? In order for investors to wanna to do business with them. So hiring an inclusive workforce is going to be hiring an emotionally intelligent workforce and that is created through social emotional learning so of course the mom and me is like oh my gosh the future of our kids you know and and what's going to happen to them what if you're what if you come from a religious family and you just don't believe there are more than two genders and that's the thing there's like a it, it brings it kind of circles back to that whole concept of of empathy is empathy just realizing that, hey, we all exist in this world and it's a big mosh posh of ideas and, mm -hmm. and beliefs? Or is it that you need to fit into this worldview or you're going to be excluded from society? And we are seeing that take effect uh, in Canada, where they are basically uh, on on the verge, if not already underway, with um, creating second-class citizens based on um, political affiliation uh, or political belief. So what you are seeing is that this is being not only uh, trained in the student to think this way, if they don't think this way, if they don't adapt or adopt to or just into this worldview, they will be second-class citizens. It will be more difficult for them to get that bureaucratic job or that corporate job. They might not even be able to be truckers and uh, second-class citizens or blue-collar workers because all of that will be taken care of as well if, if the technocrats get their way. It'll be all completely bundled and either you're uh, a part of the system or you're not a part of the system. What will they, like, the open question, don't answer this unless you're into science fiction novels, but what would <laughs> happen to those second-class citizens? What are we to do with the undesirables? 
oh my gosh, I don't even want to think about that. That's that's a scary prospect because all you can think about is, well, this is bad. Um, and it's going to affect their whole life when they get into college. When you would see, like, in, um, it's like everything will be micromanaged, right? You see even the UK, um, now they're, they're tracking what people are buying at the grocery store, um, what kind of foods they're buying. It's like, are they going to then say, well, if you're, if you're obese, you're a second-class citizen. I mean, it really it doesn't stop at just ideological beliefs. They can literally then micromanage everything about your life, and if you don't comply, then you don't get to participate. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, what at that point, what do you do? I mean, is it like 1984? Um, <laughs> all the Orwell books? <laughs> yeah. Or, or, what do you uh, think is going to happen to them? Well, I, I just, I wonder how the resistance uh, or a resistance to this can um, persist if the same entities that are implementing this in the schools, implementing this in colleges, implementing this in in the media, if they also are implementing this financially in, in, in under what circumstances can people have the freedom to not adopt this and still flourish if the system controls the entire, the entire thing. And right. h- how are we to opt out of that? I mean, uh, you start gardening. Uh, what do I you guess. do? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, look at what's like you said. Look what's happening in Canada. They're seizing their assets. Um, they're saying, um, you know, you can. We're going to take care of you know the digital bitcoins and blockchain and all that kind of stuff. They're they're going to, um, you know, take over the the fundraising thing. It's like all all of these systems have been co opted by these people that believe in this ideology that you have to believe a certain way. And so I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. So the process of doing this work just on this one vector, this one line of critique and consciousness raising, uh, just specifically with transformative social emotional learning in schools, where have you gained ground on this? I think the where thing is I the weakness? The thing that I just told you, I think, just, A, the sexualization of our kids, that's that's a big one. When other parents started to see this third-party link, when you first search it, it's loveisrespect.org, and it's a, it's a website um, where people can report um, abuse and things like that. So the first thing that comes up when you go to this website is, hold on, you know, um, people can search your search history and you know so you might want to clear your browser after you search this website and you can press escape two times to exit it really really quickly um but the problem is on this website was not just where you could report abuse um and learn about healthy relationships uh they also had articles on there like five tips for your first time and revenge porn and uh, dating in the closet, what to do if your partner blackmails you. Uh, and th- they were sending eighth graders to this website. And then that website had links to other websites like Scarletine, where topics were like how to get a safe self-managed medical abortion. And uh, am I still a feminist if I'm into BDSM? It was awful. It was so awful that the community was in an uproar, right? The fact mm. that this curriculum, it's dynamic, so it changed. It can change anytime it wants to. And now it has mm. these links in there 
that eighth graders could then, and no one caught this. It took, it took two parents going through the curriculum to catch this. And that put them in uproar. And then the second piece, when I tell people about this social credit system that this is leading towards, I think that the parents then get it. Then it becomes not just, oh, it's out there. Because, you know, you can say, well, CRT is out there and CRT is in this other state. But when you see that SCL is this kind of sneaky Trojan horse for all of these things, and they're bringing it in and teaching your kids and kind of, you know, they paint parents in a really bad light, too. And they start, they start looking at their own kids and their own family, and they say, this is going to affect me. This is going to affect my little tiny inner circle of people that I really care about. And that's when I think parents get start to get riled up and really involved. At one point, when we were trying to get the school board to completely vote second step out, we had filled the whole boardroom. You know, as you know, it's hard to get parents to board meetings. We filled the whole boardroom and two extra overflow rooms because that's how upset our community was that this is what was in this material. And then uh, CNN that night called you guys domestic terrorists, right? <laughs> it wasn't shortly after that yet. A.G. Garland came out and said, these parents, man, they're domestic terrorists. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you know this, Benjamin, but um, it came out, and this is what was interesting, that his son-in-law was the co-founder of Panorama Education, which is one of the companies that does these social-emotional learning assessments that parents were getting so up in arms about because it was bringing in topics that introducing their kids to sexual topics and race, racial topics, um, that that's the why parents were going to board meetings and, and raising um, awareness. And, and unfortunately, a lot of parents did shout at board members. But I think, I think the other thing that helped us, too, was that we were really respectful in how we went about it. We we educated our board members because you don't get anywhere if you just go to the board meetings and you scream your head off at them. <laughs> you missed this, and I can't believe our kids would have, you know, seen this stuff in the curriculum. You educate them, you bring them in, and um, because we did that, and we were very respectful, and and I, and I know why other parents aren't in other areas because they're not being listened to. And I felt like we had a nice dynamic where we were being heard. Um, and we were able to to lay the groundwork for them to say, you know what, this is not good for our community and for our children. And they, uh, the board, agreed and and went along with your wishes. What happened to those poor social workers? They were pretty mad. Um, but then they had another thing to get mad about because um, our district pulled nine books off the shelf uh, that uh, contained pornographic material. Uh, and they were mad because those student, a lot of those books, unfortunately, were about people of color and um, a lot of these what they call disadvantaged groups or oppressed groups, you know, the LGBTQIA books. Um, but they were not appropriate for children. And they were very mad that we pulled them from the shelves. It was the First Amendment thing. We're book burners. We're, mm-hmm, you know, so mm-hmm. it, it didn't take long. They had other things to be mad about other than yeah. SEL. Yeah. Well, it, it wasn't that the book with uh, the cartoon book with the fellatio uh, going on? Oh, Gender Fair? Yeah. yeah. That was one of them. Yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, the whole thing with literature. So um, so these parent organizations or, or parents are standing up. What, what are some of the organization's best practices? Are, are there uh, also uh, 
like countermeasures or places where people can go to get informed, not only with what's happening, but how to make changes and how to go about doing this? I don't know if there's like a playbook, right? Um, I've, I've been contacted by quite a few parent groups from across the nation asking me how to get social emotional learning out of their school districts. And I always help them. Um, but I think, uh, first place, you know, to go just to learn more about kind of what happened in our school district is to go to utahparentsunited.org slash SEL. And there you'll see the 20 page document that Stacy and I put together on the eighth grade curriculum. And then what we did is we then condensed it down by topic. So parent, it was basically a tool for parents to go in. We, we knew most people didn't have 30 hours to look at one grade. So we said, well, here's our problem with how they frame bullying. And here's their problem with the social justice activism. You can look at these lessons to find out our concerns. And um, so it, a lot of, you know, Second Step is one of the most widely used curriculums in the United States. It reaches like 20 and a half million students per year. So the fact that parents have been able to go to that website and find at least the eighth grade curriculum there um, has been helpful. And I think it's just parents are starting to band together, you know, on Twitter, on where we're sharing information. Here's a bill that we're running in our state. Here's some strategies that work for us. I think it's kind of word by mouth, word of mouth right now. But, you know, you see parent, uh, parent groups like Parents Defending Education, um, in our own state, we have obviously Utah Parents United, uh, Moms for Liberty is another really great organization. And we're all kind of talking mm. to each other and, and sharing best practices. It's a uh, very grassroots, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I'm sure that coach brothers money is just uh, really helping you guys out, right? Like all those dark uh, corporate donors no okay yeah no. Right. so self-funded okay well there we go got that off the table then no it's but we get accused of that all the time though um people are always like oh they're well-funded organization and little do they know we're like it's like drive my kids to school talk to this senator you know <laughs> do the laundry <laughs> you know make this call to action you know for parents to come here or there and so it's it's, it's a lot of us, it's, it's kind of a handful of us doing a whole lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I tell, you know, I go on a lot of different podcasts, Benjamin, and they always ask me, what is your message to parents? And I always say, please get involved because we need all the parents to put their hands on the, the steering wheel and to, to turn the ship around because mm-hmm. we're getting burnt out. I mean, we're, we're doing so much, um, it's like my, my, I have to focus on my own family at the same time to like come home and, and make dinner and be with my family at least several nights a week. So um, I always say, parents, please, I mean, if it's just the littlest thing, get involved and do something because um, A, you'll feel better. You won't feel as, I think a lot of parents feel anxiety when they see what's going on around them and they don't know how, how to fix it. But the best way is to just, just dig your hands in, right? Get, get your hands dirty. Um, even if it's the smallest thing, like sharing information with somebody, sharing a website, hey, go here, learn something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this movement is very important uh, for everybody to be involved in, uh, regardless of race, religion, and creed. Uh, anybody who has children uh, and wants to keep um, that 
parent-child bond sacrosanct and the government as uh, a facilitator of community rather than the dictator of community needs to be involved in this. Um, but that said, uh, I wonder if uh, wh- what keeps you going? Like personally, how do you keep your head above water? Because even though you say that the anxiety diminishes when you get to work, I, can, I, I imagine that there's some pretty dark moments for you. And I, wonder, I just wonder, like on a personal level, well, what's your guiding light? What continues to rekindle your flame and your commitment to this pr- work and this project? Um, I saw a quote recently online. Um, I believe it was Moms for Liberty who posted it. They said something about every time I look into my child's eyes is when I realize I can't stop fighting. Because you're right, it, it does get exhausting some days. Um, right now we're in the middle of our legislative session and you know we have our hands in quite a few bills um, trying to get amendments and trying to raise awareness about them. Um, and then, you know, with the work that I'm doing, you, you, you realize kind of the big organizations we're up against and people and those people have a lot of money and a lot of power. And you think to yourself, can we win this thing, right? Can we turn this around? And I always, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a super religious person, but I, I believe um, that we as a nation have been from the beginning brought together by, by this concept of, of patriotism and, and that we're all united and, and equal under the eyes of God. And I think that um, the other thing for me is I cannot be complicit in watching this country crumble. Um, I, I tell people this story a lot. Um, my grandfather was a World War II vet. And he served under Patton, did like 30 plus months combat you know, all over Europe and Africa. And, um, and he would sit me on his lap when I was a little kid and he would show me his war books. And he took lots of pictures and um, would tell me stories. But the hardest thing he would ever talk to me about was liberating the concentration camps. And he couldn't, it's like he, it's like he visibly was changed when he would start talking about it. And the one thing he did tell me, because I'm sure he didn't want to tell me much, right, at that young age, was that they would make the townspeople surrounding that concentration camp come in and clean up the mess. And I'm sure that was pretty disgusting and awful. Um, But they did that because they felt they were complicit in allowing it to happen because um, they could literally smell the bodies burning and did nothing. And so, I promised my grandfather a very, very long time ago that I would not be a complicit person. And um, I just can't, you know, I, I see what's going on and I see how destructive these ideologies are and I, and I can't be silent. I can't, I can't quit. Right. Even if, even if it seems like Goliath and we're just like all these Davids down here. And that's the other thing I tell my, you know, group of women that I work with is like, you know, it seems really large. It seems really daunting, but look at how many people around this table are holding rocks, right? That can, that can take that giant down. You're the slinging sisters. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Daughters of David. I don't know. That's a little that's religious, right. but. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're going to need a lot more than, than a little rock. So, but. <laughs> so I, I will link a bunch of, uh, 
links in the description uh, for people who are interested in doing this. But is there any shout out, any uh, webinar that's going on, uh, uh, anything uh, coming around the corner that people uh, should be aware of and get on board with? Any events or? Uh, not not at the moment. Um, but if you do go to that website I mentioned earlier, that utahparentsunited.org slash SEL, um, on that page kind of beneath where we talk about what happened with Second Step, there is the there's a huge like hour-long presentation I did for Utah Parents United. And I really lay out everything, like where SEL came from, how it shifted from like outcomes-based education and all these laws were passed to nationalize and federalize the education system. And that's how all of this stuff was brought in. Um, and then I go into specifically second step and we go into also um, the other thing we didn't even talk about, which was um, how SEL we're using teachers who are not trained therapists to basically do like group therapy through SEL. So um, that that webinar um, that I did is really helpful in just kind of understanding kind of where where it is and where it's come from and, and what we should do about it. You're a hero in heroin. Do you mind? Which? No, heroin. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining me. I'm, uh, sorry to rush the conversation, but I know you're a super busy person. So, well, I I appreciate you having me on and, and you spotlighting parents because, um, yeah, I mean it's it's this is a movement that needs to sweep up a whole lot of people uh, because we don't have much time, right? We need to really make sure our kids are protected at school. And especially from these things, it can be very sneaky, like SEL. <laughs> <laughs>